And we are live. Episode two of the Rooted in Resilience podcast with the Strong Sisters. Hi, sir. Hi, Ashley. How are you doing today? Good. It's been quite a week, so we've been postponed in getting this next podcast episode out, but we do have a really exciting line of guests coming up that are going to be on the show. Yes. We just wanted to get out one more podcast of just the two of us talking back and forth before we bring on people to bring up some awesome topics. Yeah, I would say it's been a month, not a week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> farm life is unpredictable, and sometimes... You have things on the schedule, you have a to-do list, and you have to just rip it up. So yeah, it's like we said, we're going to start a podcast on the farm side otherwise. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but here we are, episode two. And I think that this is a super important topic. I'm really excited about it. And today we're going to talk about like food rules, diet rules, good versus bad foods. There's so much confusion in the nutrition space that it's really hard to develop an idea for the average person as to what they should do. Like people are lost. Yeah. This is actually, this topic is based on a conversation we had with our community group in our course, Rooted in Resilience, where somebody was bringing up the idea of ancestral eating and, you know, eating seasonally and kind of wondering where that fits into a specific diet mindset or framework or macronutrient split. So we're just going to dive into that topic to learn a little bit more about intuition versus you know being aware and tracking specific things. Okay. So I think a good starting place will be like macronutrients, you know, like what are good macronutrients? Like how much should I be eating of all of those? What even are macronutrients? Okay. Macronutrients. So basically now we're going to be breaking down the idea of a diet and food by macronutrients and then we've got micronutrients. So my macronutrients are going to be your carbs, fats, and proteins. And so when you hear somebody say my macro split or something along those lines, that's referring to how many grams of carbs, how many grams of fat, and then how many grams of protein they're eating in any given day. And so you can use these amounts to achieve different goals you might have for your health or for your physique or performance. And so when you're thinking of specific diets, for example, so like let's take the ketogenic diet, mm -hmm. that's going to have a macro split for the most part that is very low carb, very high fat, and then probably middle ground protein. So that's where macros work into different diets. Um, and then you can just not be following a diet and, of course, eating a macro split so, but no matter what, you're eating macros. Exactly. Eating food. Exactly. And kind of the way that we think about macronutrients are you've got your energy macros, which are your carbs and your fats. And there's so much debate as to which one of those should be your higher percentage. And then you've got your building blocks, your amino acids and your proteins. Yeah. And right now, I would say like I am higher carb, moderate fat, moderate protein. And so I like to think, you know, my animal food sources are fulfilling my fat needs and my protein needs. And then certain plants are fulfilling my carbs and my energy needs. So you're an omnivore. I'm an omnivore. It's <laughs> <laughs> wow. enlightening. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So you've got your energy. Yeah. And then you've got your micronutrients, which are basically fitting into those macronutrients, which are your vitamins, your minerals, your amino acids, all these different things. So that's where you really get into the nuances of um, your food and nutrition yeah. and hitting certain micronutrients in order to have functions in your body take place in order for your cells to heal and for you to utilize carbs appropriately. And so while it's not something that you really need to fixate on day to day, it's like I'm getting this amount of, you know, thiamine or retinol. It is something to be mindful of and aware of, and then, you know, utilize your macronutrients to kind of hit those goals or achieve what you're after. But an important point that's often missed is, you know, people always say, and I say this too, like nutrient density of your foods is important and hitting your micronutrients are important, but our body needs just energy too, because someone could eat, Someone could technically fill all of their RDAs for the micronutrients, but eat like 1200 calories a day. Oh, yeah. And that's not optimal because your body literally needs energy to be able to perform these functions in the body. And so 
just energy plays a role as well. Like for example, the act of rebuilding muscle tissue requires your body to use energy from your food to rebuild that muscle. So that's just like an important thing that's missed. Yeah, definitely. And also um, just, you know, micronutrients, there's so many nuances there, like how much per, per each nutrient do you need per day? Yeah. But that also depends on your macronutrient split. Because if you're eating a higher carbohydrate diet, you require, for example, more B vitamins or something to utilize those carbs appropriately. So there's so many nuances to this. And that's why we wanted to talk about, you know, the concept of diet rules, where tracking your macros comes into play and all these different things to kind of maybe provide some relief that you don't have to be so crazy about tracking, but also that tracking can be very valuable. So there's this book in front of me. I'm just going to pull it out. So it's called Nourishment by Dr. Fred Provenza. Uh, We actually have a YouTube interview with him. Um, But the reason I think that this is relevant is because something that Dr. Provenza talks about is like the innate nutritional wisdom of animals. Like they know what they need. And so you hear a lot of people say like, oh, certain animals can't eat the milkweed plant because it's poisonous to them. But I've seen our lamb eat milkweed because they were self-medicating. Like they'll eat a little bite. They knew that they got enough and then they moved on to the next plant. Or they hated it. Or they hated it. (laughs) But I think that um, we have lost a sense of nutritional wisdom for humans for a number of reasons. One, I think that in America, we don't have food culture. So like in other countries, at least what I've learned, like, you know, traditional recipes, food culture is passed down from generation to generation. And so then you're just, you just grow up knowing kind of what to eat. It's just part of your culture. But in America, I feel like we have lost that. And so people don't really have that passed down from generation to generation. And with the increase in vegetable oils and all this processed food, that has definitely led to a like reduction in any sort of traditional food preparation or traditional like thinking of food. Um, and then the second thing would be these new diet rules that are just confusing people. So that is a situation like when, when we've kind of lost our innate nutritional wisdom and we're like plagued and don't know how to move forward because of diet rules, I feel like that's where really macronutrient tracking comes into play where it can provide a little bit of structure and guidance as you try to figure out what is actually working for you. Okay. I'm going to talk about so many things here. Okay. So go ahead. Just so I don't forget first is the innate wisdom of animals. Yes. And then comparing that to humans. And yeah. the second would be where intuition comes into play with nutrition and what we can do about that. So, um, regarding animals and their intuition with food and our lack of, I think a big reason, like you said, is that we lost a lot of culture within the last few generations of eating, preparing food, eating balanced meals. Like for example, the other day we had that Southern-esque meal, which was, what was it? It was a pork hock with collard greens, stewed apples. There was masa cornbread. There was the broth that came with it all. So that's a really balanced meal that's going to provide all of your micronutrients, but also a really good balance of micronutrients that's coming from all those components to the meal, mm-hmm. right? And so if you were to just eat like that, I mean, you'd probably be doing a pretty good job hitting all of these targets, but we've lost that. Yeah, a lot of us have. And so the practice of dieting or restricting or following, you know, a the AIP diet, for example, the autoimmune paleo diet or keto diet or carnivore diet, when you put your body into this box and you're eating in a certain way that's based on food rules as opposed to intuition, you're going to lose that intuition because your hormones are going to follow, your hormones are going to change to the point where you might not even have those hunger cues anymore, despite your body actually being starving for energy, because you are pushing yourself into a place where your body is going to try to protect you. And so it's lowering your metabolic rate. And I'm not saying that all diets do this. And I'm also not saying this is always the case because somebody might not be eating in a um, nutrient or caloric deficit and they might be getting all the nutrients in. But many times when we do go on a restrictive diet, we are creating these nutrient deficiencies and energy deficiencies, which is forcing our bodies to kind of go into starvation mode. And we lose a lot of that innate wisdom and intuition with eating. So when we try to come out of these diets, we are literally so confused because we don't 
we don't know how to listen to our bodies and trust our bodies. And so that's where we run into the problem of like, gosh, I want to eat intuitively. Okay, so that means that maybe you didn't eat breakfast because your body wasn't hungry in the morning because you lost those hunger signals. You're running so, on stress hormones. Yeah, you're running on stress hormones. And so that's that's a problem because we do need to start our day off on the right foot with eating something. And so this has been a topic with a lot of our course members because they have this desire to do a little bit more intuition with their food. But in our course, we talk about macros. And so like, okay, how does intuition fit in with tracking macros? And so I guess that's something I wanted to ask you is where do you think eating intuitively fits in with tracking your macros? So along these lines, I think it's important to remember that the body is a system. You can't isolate different parts. And the way that the body works is impacted by the state of the system. And so someone who is in a parasympathetic dominant state versus a sympathetic dominant state. So whether you are kind of more in a rest and digest state versus more of a stressed out running around with a, like a chicken with its head chopped off. Like if depending on which of those nervous systems are more dominant, your body will function differently. Your hormone levels will be different. Your hunger signals will be different. What you crave will be different. And so I think that that's a really good place where macronutrients fit in, because if you are in a really stressed out state, experimenting with different macros to get you out of that stressed out state and back into a non-stressed out state, a non-stressed out state is more in tune with the body's needs. Okay. So maybe using the structure of counting macros to help yourself get out of fight or flight to where you can then tune into that intuition a little bit more and maybe find a little bit more flexibility. Yeah. You're saying, yeah, I think that's really helpful. Um, I also think that it's also okay to have physique goals Yeah. and macronutrients tracking, tracking your macros and obviously considering micronutrients in that as well. I think that that is a very valuable tool to move closer to your physique goals because there's thousands of research studies showing that as humans, if we track data, we will accomplish our goals sooner and with a higher rate of success. And so I think that if someone does have a physique goal, um, like wants to lose X number of pounds or put on this amount of muscle, having a little bit of structure can help you decide if you're moving in the right direction with your physique, your body composition goals. And I know not everyone has body composition goals and that's okay, but that is a very valuable tool to move closer to those goals. Yeah. And I think even for health goals, at least tracking for either a few days in a row or maybe one day out of the week to see if you're getting enough food, if you're getting oh, enough sure. macronutrients, and you can even track your micronutrients, be like by chronometer or something. Yeah. Can be really helpful to see if you're getting enough for your body and your needs. That that's that's a really good point because you know, so many of these people on restrictive diets um, have completely lost hunger signals. And that is like a clear sign that your body has switched out of a rest and digest state. It is a good thing to be hungry. It is like, that is okay to be hungry. That's a sign that your metabolism is running. Your body is using that fuel well. Um, and so I think that for someone that has maybe been in a restrictive hamster wheel for a really long time, just tracking to see how much food you're consuming, because if you've been chronically under eating, your body is smart and it's going to downregulate your metabolism to make sure that your essential tasks remain on so it can survive. Like your body is smart. It's going to make adaptations, but that type of body where if you've been chronically under eating 1200, 1300 calories for a long time, and then your body has to make a decision as to what tasks are going to be shut off to make sure that your essential tasks are kept on so you can stay alive. And so I think for someone that has really no idea how much they're eating, they're hungry, they've been kind of just slightly, like they suspect they've been under eating for a long period of time. I think the tracking macros can be really eye-opening to see, are you giving your body enough energy? Okay. So you can probably conclude that 
tracking your macros is not just another diet and it's not just another form of, you know, disordered eating. Oh, no, it's like there are so many useful tools, especially for people who are just so confused as to what to eat. Yeah. And again, like, of course, food quality matters, like the better food that you, you buy, the less toxins you're going to accumulate, the more micronutrients you'll get from that food. Um, but I think that it, tracking macros definitely has its place. Of course, it doesn't have to happen for yeah, ever. So basically, we're distinguishing the practice of tracking your macros from just another diet rule. Because I think oh, that's yeah. important because a lot of people come to Promotabolic and, you know, they're coming out of this long healing journey or restrictive dieting journey and the last thing they want is another diet, right? Yeah. And so I guess just recognizing where the art, the practice of tracking your macros can fit into that to help pull you out so you can actually get to that intuitive place yes. is a real thing. Yeah. 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 Um, I think, of course, everything can become disordered, you know, if you're kind of abusing this yeah. macros and, you know, you're using it to keep eating less and less. That's not what we're talking about here. We're using it as a tool to improve our metabolic rate and improve our health and make sure we're getting all of our nutrients in. Yeah. I mean, like people are struggling. Like, people aren't doing well. Their health is not optimal. They're confused. And again, you know, there's people saying that, you know, tracking macros is an eating disorder and calories in versus calories out doesn't matter. And of course there's so many different like nuances to that, but gosh dang, if you're, if what you're doing right now isn't working, then try something else. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So on that note, yeah. Um, if somebody was interested in maybe tracking their macros or they are right now and they're still like, oh, I just don't know if this is yeah. working. Do you have an idea of what the, is, is there an optimal macro split or is it very heavily dependent on this person, the situation? I really think that it is so person dependent, which again is why I think that it can be useful to help someone decide as to what type of structure works best for their sleep, for their digestion, for their hormones, for their overall energy to try out a few different things. Um, I think that someone who, you know, is maybe coming from a severely low carb, if they switch to strictly high carb right away, like that's not going to be a good recipe yeah there's a lot of problems that um, yeah yeah um from personal yeah <laughs> so honestly i feel like giving individual macronutrient like targets without knowing anyone's context is so hard but yeah you know somewhere in like the 20 to 35 percent fat range and close to your body weight in protein and then filling the rest with carbohydrates yeah. uh, what do you think about that so dependent on, you know, a number of things, the gender, the activity levels, the muscle mass, the current metabolic rate and past dieting history, mm -hmm. the goals, the state of the hormones, the, is the woman breastfeeding? Is she pregnant? Is she trying to get fertile? Yeah. Um, how's the sleep? Yeah. How's the temps and pulse? So there's so many different things that can one, determine what your micro split should be around. And then two, you know, help you gauge whether you're getting closer to where you should be with your food. Yeah. All of those different metrics. But like as she said, around the 20 to 35% fat and then around one gram per body weight, uh, per pound of body weight or a little bit less. Yeah. You know, for someone I would say over hundred grams per day is probably, probably good. For someone who has really low body temps and pulse measurements, uh, being careful about how much protein you're eating because you may get some of those thyroid suppressive amino acids like too much of those so just making sure that you find a, a protein amount that's above 100 grams less than your body weight that seems to work yeah. out with you so per dr repeat i think he suggested that if you're dealing with a low metabolic rate and low temps and pulses to favor carbs and fats slightly more than your protein that doesn't mean don't eat protein but get the minimum amount of protein you need and then make sure you're eating enough carbs and fats so don't go super high protein whereas somebody who's building muscle like definitely get that one gram per pound body weight of protein or a little bit less. Yes. Around there. Um, and, and so on. And then there's more nuances too. Like if you're eating in a caloric surplus to go muscle, carbs are very protein sparing. So you could do a little bit less. So again, it's not about the perfect number, which I think a lot of people get caught up. It's like, 
my gosh, how many carbs exactly should I be eating? Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a range, and it, it ranges based on that day, too. People just need structure. They, yeah. They're so confused that they just want something to follow. Right. But I hope that we can provide a little bit more information and education so that when we have this structure, we recognize the flexibility and the nuances that exist. So we're not feeling stressed out throughout the day if we're not hitting that structure perfectly. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, so we hit on the protein. We talked about protein. So yeah. the carbs, like we said, would fill in the rest of those calories is what she meant. Yeah. So, I mean, that could range anywhere from, you know, hundred grams of carbs to 400 grams of carbs or more, depending on the person and the, all those different metrics that we talked about. Yeah. I think, um, Let's touch on this. We can do a completely separate podcast on it, like the Randall cycle discussion. So people will be like, this is another food rule, right? You can't combine carbs and fats. That is a very frequently asked question, very frequently commented thing on our posts. Like, oh my gosh, you're combining fats and carbs. I think that the standard American diet is high carb and high fat. And that's a recipe for and typically high calories. high calories. That's where the problem goes in. Um, and of course, those fats are probably not great fat sources, but it is like very much impossible <laughs> to have a meal that is carb zero fat. It's pretty. It's what do you mean? It's very hard. You could have literally just fruit, but it's it's just not it's not necessary. Like, oh no, it's because not. it's important to consider. Like right now, us sitting here recording this podcast. Our brain is running on glucose, so our brain is using carbohydrates. Can I just say a quote? I don't remember who it's by, but I was reading the other day. The one was like, people would be surprised how much energy goes into just trying to be normal. Like, yeah, just trying to be normal. Oh, yeah. It requires so much brain input. Oh, yeah. Yes, to function, literally to think. Yeah. requires glucose. So sitting right here, our brain is using glucose, carbohydrates, but our muscles are using fat for fuel. And we both have quite a bit of... Uh, muscle mass on us and so our muscles are using fat but then like reproductive organs are using carbohydrates our red blood cells are using carbohydrates so various organs around the body are using different fuel sources given what you're doing at that moment and then we're going to the gym this afternoon and our muscles will switch to carbohydrates during our exercise session and so i think this randall cycle it's important 100 percent where like, yes, every cell in the body can only use one fuel source at that given point in time. But then we don't like, we forget that different organ systems can use different fuel sources at the same time. And so, no, you don't want to go high carb and high fat, but doing a high carb, moderate fat is totally fine. Um, And that's again, where tracking macros come into play because people will be like, well, what does that even mean? High carb, moderate fat track your food and you'll see what that means, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's so easy, especially if you're coming from a lower carb background or like a really animal based diet to eat high fat and high carb, because once you add all these carbs in and you're still including like, you know, let's say you're putting beef suet on your plate for some reason, or you're doing, you know, a lot, a lot of butter and a lot of uh, full fat dairy and stuff. Those add up really quickly. Oh, for sure. So it, you know, especially if your goal is to kind of lose weight and reduce a little bit of estrogen dominance, you really do need to be mindful of the macronutrients but that you're utilizing to achieve your goal and um, the state of health that you want to be in. And there's also some evidence that uh, consuming high carb and high fat, that concoction can reduce your body's ability to use carbohydrates properly because it interferes with the PDH enzyme for like proper so I think just being mindful and like just tracking the amount of fat that you're consuming can help you with your physique goals. It can help you improve your body's ability to use carbohydrates, but no one here is promoting a zero fat diet. Uh, Fats play their role for a number of things in the body, but you don't need to massively over-consume them to hit your fat-soluble vitamin intake and your fat needs. Yeah. And I know we're not talking about this in this podcast, but I know somebody's going to bring up the idea of gluconeogenesis and the body being able to create the carbohydrates to fuel the different organs. However, in this little world, we believe that that's just too much stress in the liver and unnecessary when you can provide that fuel for your body to uh, function optimally itself. So 
Yeah, technically fat isn't an essential nutrient. Our body can make fat too, but is that a good thing? No. It's like, no. Give your body what it needs. Yes. Yes. We used to rely on gluconeogenesis way too much and it felt good until it didn't. So it felt good until I fell apart. Okay. We both have some notes that we want to talk about yeah. and just touch on, but I think that within those macronutrients. Okay. Uh, wait. So just to summarize. So there's no perfect macronutrients. No, there really is not. It can vary day to day. I think you need to get the amount of calories you need to, at the very least, maintain cell structure and function optimally. Yeah. And then depending on your goal, that can move up or down. Um, we want to spend most of the year in a maintenance phase. So that means eating just the right amount of food to maintain your to maintain your weight. And then if you have weight loss goals, then you can eat in a deficit for a very specific period of time. Yep. If you have muscle mass gain goals, then you can eat in a caloric surplus for a very specific set of time. Yep. But we want to be in homeostasis for the most part. So you consider that, that. Yeah. Your body likes homeostasis. Yeah. And that's why when you diet, your metabolic rate starts slowing because your body's trying to reachieve homeostasis. So. Yes. All things to consider. Um, we, it, it's. I love this topic. So keep going. Yeah. Um, and then I think your macronutrient split can vary depending on your season of life um, and oh, how much activity level you do. Yeah. So kind of just monitoring it, and it is a beneficial tool to utilize along your journey. Okay, I love that because that's another topic I want to talk about is the concept of seasonal eating mm-hmm. and. I mean, I think in a way that could even be put into like a, it's not a diet, but just this idea, like I only eat seasonally, right? Oh gosh, don't get me started on this. And I think that there's a lot of really great things that come from that, Mm -hmm. but some people start to feel bad when they're not eating seasonally or they think, you know, maybe they're not eating ancestrally when they're eating out of season. And so what is your opinion on this? Again, this idea of seasonal eating um, presents more diet rules, more food rules, and more restrictive. However, uh, I think utilizing what you have available to you in your specific area um, That's is the simplest a, way. <laughs> is like a very valuable tool. Um, however, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't eat carbohydrates in the winter. People take this to the extreme, so. Last summer, I went down this very deep dive into vintage and ancestral cookbooks. So I was reading cookbooks from the 1700s, the 1800s, and the early 1900s. And it's important to remember, like, chronic disease didn't exist back then. And people will say, oh, our ancestors didn't live that long. Well, the data was skewed by, like, birth deaths. Like, we weren't very good at keeping babies alive at birth. And we've improved that slightly since then. And so that has definitely skewed the data. But like autoimmune diseases, like all these stuff, like chronic diseases didn't really exist as much back then. Like I would say probably we were healthier. Yeah. I think, you know, maybe the hygiene and the conditions that were lived in maybe played a role into that too. I'm not really sure. But, you know, like getting an infection and then not being able to treat it. Yeah. I think that people t- uh, like really tune in on quote ancestral and they go like way back like hundreds of thousands of years ago but like are human bodies the same as they were a hundred thousand years ago is that an actually useful practice to compare way back environment is certainly not the same yeah and we are all bathing in emfs and wi-fis and driving around in cars and wearing plastics um but i think reflecting back like the last 200 years is kind of cool to do and the trends in these cookbooks, I have a blog post on our website. Our website is www.armstrongsisters.com and you can go to our blog and I, I have this blog post share, sharing a bunch of like images of all of these old cookbooks and I write out the trends that I saw and every single one of them utilized carbohydrates in the winter, it's just a different form. So in the summer, there were obviously a, a lot more fruits and berries and things like that, but then our ancestors went through tremendous efforts and preparation to have carbohydrates prepared for the winter. And so then the winter months were more like uh, breads. They eat a ton of bread and baked goods, sourdough bread. 
and then so much marmalades and jams. Like that was pretty much their winter. And then apples are were available all year round then. And so pretty much their carbs in the winter were like baked goods, uh, sourdough bread, marmalades, jams, apples. And also probably pretty well preserved potatoes in the form of chips and stuff. Oh, for sure. Uh, also doing things like uh, milk is a carb. <laughs> milk yeah. is a carb, fat, and protein. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think that the argument of seasonal eating means you need to drop your carbs in the winter, which is the way some people interpret it. Yeah. And then, obviously, in the summer, there was so much more fruit in abundance. Uh, and, yeah, so I think just using what you have in your area, but you don't necessarily have to restrict macronutrients. I think that that's where seasonal eating kind of takes a eating disorder mindset is like it's winter i can't have carbohydrates it's not allowed and it's like yeah you know, said that even if it's not coming from an eating disorder background but more so just thinking that that is just consistent with evolution it this is where nuance and like awareness comes into play and recognizing that okay you know the winter is actually more stressful on your body yeah. because there's more darkness. It's, it's cold. You have to maintain a higher temp in the cold weather, yeah. or, you know, for most areas, less sun, there's less sun. And so could it possibly be advantageous to actually consume more carbohydrates in the winter to help maintain your body temperatures, you know, warmer things, warmer foods. And I'm not saying you have to increase your macros, but just recognizing the nuance there and the different world that we live in today and you know there's also a lot of stressful events that occur like holidays and so many different things that if we were intentionally trying to restrict carbohydrates because it wasn't what our ancestors ate in the winter which isn't true could that just be more stressful this we're gonna have to do another podcast completely on this topic but it, it truly goes down to like how how someone defines health and in the pro-metabolic space health is a fast metabolism, a well-functioning thyroid, a robust metabolism, high body temps, and pulse. Some other spheres kind of follow more of the rate of living theory, which in my opinion has been disproven in the literature, but that a lower metabolic rate is quote efficient and they actually like don't mind lower body temps, lower T3 levels, like they view that as advantageous. And so it's because you're being more efficient with your fuel. I don't, I, I strongly no, I disagree. It was just like I'm asking. after learning from Dr. Ray Pete, I, I just strongly disagree with that view and my own personal experience and, and the amount of infections and exactly. Uh, and so immunity. I think that what type of lens you have will impact your thoughts on this matter. And so heading into winter, I'm looking out and there's snow. We actually have sun today which is the first time in a long time, but darkness, cold temps, both of those things are known to lower your metabolic rate, lower your T3 levels and seasonal affective disorder is a known thing to happen in the winter. And so all of these things are suppressing your metabolism. If you then don't consume carbohydrates, you're going to quote suppress your metabolism even more. But some people may view that as a good thing because you're being quote, but that is the exact opposite view of the pro-metabolic bioenergetic space. Like you literally can't believe in keto and believe in bioenergetic. They're, they're literally exact opposite. Yeah. So, well, I guess bringing this full circle and how to practice, you know, maybe you are interested in seasonal eating, but you also want to support your metabolism and be pro-metabolic, but at the same time, you can't spend your entire summer preparing jams, jellies, and you don't have the means to do sourdough bread right now. How do you, do you just roll with it? Yeah. I mean, I personally am not going to choose to eat a banana in December <laughs> here in Michigan. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the reasons why people may have negative effects with that is because when you grow fruit out of season, it's, it's hard to control the ripeness level. And a lot of those fibers of unripe fruit can cause a lot of digestive issues. And so that's where eating fruit in season does make a ton of sense because the fruit is like the fiber structures are just better. It's more ripe. People have less problems digestive wise with it. And so it tastes better. It, oh, for sure. It tastes better. Um, a little half there. You could freeze your ripe fruit 
Yes. And then utilize that frozen fruit in the winter when you're heating it up. Yeah. I or mean, you can buy frozen fruit that was frozen when it was ripe. Yeah. I think utilizing things like starches that you tolerate well, mm-hmm. I think the starches play a role and can certainly play a role in the winter. So what would that be? Um, and again, starches have, a lot of people don't digest starches well. I think it's because they aren't prepared properly. And so focusing on traditional properly prepared starches. So this will be things like masa harina flour, which is corn flour that's been extimalized. So it's mixed with lime and really broken down to really help improve the digestibility of those starch fibers, reduce the anti-nutrients, increase the mold, reduce the mold, increase the amount of micros that your body is able to assimilate. Um, yeah. So proper preparation increases micronutrient availability in the final product. Yes. So masa harina flour, which you can use to make tortillas or little cakes and things like that. Um, sourdough bread, long fermentation, again, reduces the anti-nutrients like phytic acid and improves the bioavailability of the nutrients in the bread, like the B vitamins, um, well-cooked potatoes. So potato starch fibers can be problematic for some people. And so if you really break them down, make sure that it's really soft, um, that may improve the digestibility. What are some other well properly quote properly prepared starches i mean like winter squashes and stuff i guess that's not really a full starch but then also utilizing simpler sugars like maple syrup and raw honey which should be available yeah even in the winter yeah and then um you know seasonal fruit seasonal fruits and uh oranges for example are actually winter fruits citrus is uh, in season right now yeah so i think there's a way to do it and ultimately if you're you know shopping at the grocery store and stuff and you see something I don't be afraid to buy it. Right, right. <laughs> we uh, we buy a marmalade brand that's great. It's so good. It's just um, organic oranges, organic sugar, which we'll do a podcast on that. Sugar is not toxic, um, and there's no like preservatives, like all of the weird like pectins and citric acid stuff. There's no preservatives in it. It's so good. So it's okay to be able to outsource these things. Just try to find the highest quality that you can without all of the gut irritating additives and preservatives um definitely yeah so i think the overall message we wanted to get here was don't let like your intention to do really good for yourself like you know seasonal eating or intuitive eating become another restrictive or another that's a great way to play like, diet rule situation where it actually is more stressful and so that's where you know tuning into your intuition can be useful, but also having awareness yeah, and recognizing the nuances of everything is really important for, I'd say, just having more balance in your, in your nutrition. Yeah, like the whole idea that our ancestors like didn't eat carbs in the winter, just like throw, just toss that idea out the window because it's not true. Uh, and don't let that like cause another rule in your mind because we don't need any more rules. But I think I wanted to talk about like the good versus bad foods let's do it because again like along those diet rules um people are afraid to eat food like we posted a picture on our instagram story the other day uh, and someone responded with i can eat that like that just shows how lost and confused people are and how we now have these lens of like we're looking down at a plate and seeing like that's a good food and that's a bad food i can provide a personal example go ahead okay so a long time ago, I learned that onions and garlic are like just the worst thing that somebody with an autoimmune disease could eat. Yeah. Um, I think it's from the autoimmune, like, I'm not really sure where it came from. But anyway, this mindset led me to just like continuously fear these foods. And even though I really have no reason to, considering, you know, I have good autoimmune blood work now, um, my metabolism is working well, and I digest those foods well. Every time I would eat an onion or garlic, I would just have this fear that my body is actually going to respond negatively, and I was going to have some sort of horrible autoimmune reaction, even though that's not really grounded in my personal experience or really anything that I follow or believe anymore, but it was just some sort of diet rule that I took with me from a previous diet I followed or from something that I read a long time ago. And so it's really hard to shake these previous um, 
ideas or beliefs that you have and move forward without fear. And I think that something that's overlooked is that you can actually have a negative reaction to said food because you are afraid. And so when you're eating it, you actually have a heightened stress response. You're not really digesting it well. You're in a fight or flight state. Your body is going to perceive it as something negative because you are actively afraid of it. And I think that's actually really powerful to recognize because you, I'm not saying this is the case all the time, but you might be the reason for the negative reaction to said food based on something that you believed a long time ago. So anyway, with this personal example, I really had to do some relaxing around the idea of onions and garlic. I'm proud to say that Sarah now eats garlic and onions. <laughs> but anyway, I just think that, I mean, this applies to fruit, this applies to starches, this even applies, you know, if somebody was vegan, this applies to eating animal products, right? So being aware of maybe what you believed in the past and if that belief is still sitting there, uh, I think it'd be helpful if you're trying to add more variety to your diet and let go of some of those prior rules and beliefs that you had around food. I think that it's important to realize that fear sells. So in this discussion of good versus bad food, whoever you are like learning from, like fear sells and it is a very good tactic to help get your attention and help create some illusion that they have some novel idea and concept and you have to listen to them. And if you don't, you're going to get problems. And so it's, it, fear is pervasive in the nutrition space right now Definitely. on at, in every single circle, even in the pro metabolic space. Like, for example, around like PUFAs and vegetable oils. In my view, vegetable oils aren't a food. Like, no. <laughs> they shouldn't even be classified as a food because they didn't exist 100 years ago. So to me, like, we have to kind of associate with like, okay, packaged and processed food, vegetable oils versus like real food. Like that, that's like square one. But then when we're talking about like real food, the whole navigating like good versus bad food. I think that that plagues so many people today. They're, they're very confused. And now there's labeling of like, okay, this food is bad. Whereas where's the nuance and where's the personal discussion of this? Because what is a good versus a bad food depends on your gut. It depends on the state of your gut right now, because we love dairy. We love milk. If someone has SIBO or some, severe gut issue, dairy may not work for you right now. I'm confident that you can fix that and dairy can work for you, but that doesn't make dairy a bad food. Oh yeah. Okay. I see what you're it just, it's just maybe right now it's not working for you. And so again, this goes back to something I brought up at the beginning where the state of your body, whether you are in a fight or flight state or a rest and digest state will impact whether a food works for you or it doesn't work for you. I see. Yeah, definitely. And so that's why these food rules are just, Oh yeah. It doesn't make any sense at a certain point. And especially these like mass diets that are pushed out in the health world. Um, and I think one thing that makes them attractive other than like, Oh, I, somebody's feared into following it for their specific condition is that it does provide structure. So if somebody's lost, that's true. That's true. It might actually be relieving to be like, okay, here's the blueprint of how I should eat. A really good example is like following a low FODMAP diet or low histamine diet. And I think that both of those have their place where they're needed yeah. for a temporary amount of time. But just having that structure can be really relieving for somebody when they've been in a state of helplessness and hopelessness for a long time. And so I've you know experienced this myself too. And a lot of people who come to our course are stuck in the state. And so that's kind of where the topic of macros either scares them or excites them yeah. because it's a new form of structure, but that's where we do need to recognize. So it doesn't scare you is that there's that flexibility that we talked about. There's the nuances, there's the experimenting, mm -hmm. the perceive, think, act of it all. Yeah. Dr. Repeat. <laughs> um, so I think the, you know, advice would be figure out what foods are working for you. And a few ways to do that would be like 
how's your digestion and poop after eating certain foods? Um, what is your body temperature and pulse? Because your body temperature and pulse is a reflection of whether your body is using that food for energy, which is a good thing. So basically you want to eat a meal and you want your body temp and pulse to race because that is a sign your metabolism has been turned on that your body is using that food to make fuel. And that is a good thing. It's using body temp and pulse measurements after meals. That can also help you determine if it was a good size and macro split meal too. Like if there's too much protein relative to the carbs and fats, sometimes people will see that their temp actually lowers. Yeah. And that's not ideal. No. In terms of a, uh, in the bioenergetic lens of wanting to maximize our energy production and maximizing our metabolic rate, we want to see a rise in those body temp pulses 30 to 45 minutes after your meal. And so, yeah, um, that can help you determine whether something is working well for you, like the macro split or the specific food. Um, and assessing how it fits into your gut health right now. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we could just go so far into that. Yeah. I I think there's so many things within gut health too, like parasite infections yeah. or bacterial overgrowth and all these different things and maybe thinking about why this happened or the state of our body, um, the state of our metabolism that allowed for this growth to happen. So these are definitely topics that we're gonna be talking about a lot with our upcoming guests. So we'll dive deeper into that. But for now, did you have any more questions? Um, I just wanna wrap up with again the the good versus bad food. I think that within the pro metabolic space, I think a lot of people um, really poo poo starches. Um, but I do think that for some people, starches can play a huge role, but there's again, this label of good versus bad food. Um, and it well, just, just an example, sorry. Cause I know that, so there's this animal based way of eating. That's kind of on the up and up on the rise. Yeah. And within that framework, starches don't exist they're so bad. yeah they're bad so we've got like the animal they're products. not approved they're not approved they're not approved and so then you feel guilty yeah or like somebody who might see somebody eating like a potato or sour bread be like oh that's a bad food what are they doing but like that's just based on one person's framework for a diet that's optimal yeah. and you know you have to recognize that that framework is based on that one person's research and experience, but there is plenty of other experience and research that exists beyond that one person's life that, you know, that one person is still learning and evolving as he or she goes too. Yeah. So we can't take everything that one person says as a holy grail for the way that everybody else should eat. Yeah. And I think something like Dr. Ray Pete, he wasn't the biggest fan of starches um, for a lot of people because, you know, maybe their gut health prohibits them from eating a lot of starches. I know that I didn't tolerate starches at a certain point along my journey, but for someone that is, you know, muscle building in the gym a lot, eating starches plays a huge role in your glycogen replenishment, muscle glycogen replenishment, whereas sucrose sources are really good at replenishing liver glycogen. Starches are very good at replenishing muscle glycogen and you, you want that muscle glycogen replenishment to happen soon after a workout so that your body can regain homeostasis and feel at a comfortable place to be able to repair that muscle and rebuild right. muscle. So I think, again, just we're not poo-pooing Dr. Ray Pete. He, he has said... He's not against that. He's not against that. He actually either. says if somebody's in a very hypo metabolic state that they should maybe prioritize starches. Uh, it, it, okay. Again, there's a lot of nuance here, but if they're looking to raise their temps and let's say it's freezing outside. Yeah. You know, utilizing starches and fats, it's going to be very beneficial for raising the body temperature. Yeah. And then you can also look into the work of Dr. Katharina Dalton yes. on the three hour starch diet, which just showed, Ashley brought this back to my attention, but just shows, you know, females eating starches or sugar every three hours was very good for their ovulation success and their and, progesterone. Production. Yeah. Maintaining progesterone production for the entire, um, luteal phase. So just again, nuances. Yeah. Like we all live such different lives. Like yeah. Sarah and I are in winter in Michigan. We work on the computer a lot during the day, but we also strength train and then we do farm chores. Like we live a different life than you. And so like what is good versus bad may require a little bit of tinkering on your end. But I think this whole like 
diet rules and adding more restriction to your life is not doing anyone good. It, it, yeah. it creates that fear mindset. And then as a result, your body is not in a rest and digest state. You're in this stressed out, fearful mindset. And again, your body is a system and it operates differently in that state. I think that it might provide temporary relief for some people, but yeah. you're always, or more, more than times than that, you're going to have to kind of change gears again because either you ran into a wall or something happened, you know, it wasn't working for you anymore, or your weight loss stalled, your health, another symptom popped up, right? Yeah. So the goal should be to not find another temporary fix. The goal should be to improve the metabolic rate and metabolic health to find a permanent, balanced, and sustainable way of eating and living that encourages healing and optimal health. Yeah. What may be a quote bad food for you right now may work for you in a few months after you improve your metabolic rate, increase your body temp's impulse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, can we one last point? Sure. Um I feel like there's like a belief that the like superiority with food, you know, like okay, if I, I don't eat those I don't I don't eat these bad foods, so I eat a better diet, you know? Yeah. But I am an absolute human. Yeah, like the superiority kind of then feeds feeds on other things. Um but who who's to say again, like who's to say that that is superior, that is I don't know, that that kind of bothers me a little bit as well. Okay. I think like just to be completely upfront about it, when we ate a carnivore diet, we were in this position thinking like, oh my gosh, like they're eating carbs. They don't need carbs. So like it, it kind of made us feel like we knew something that they didn't. And like, we had this optimal way of living, but in reality, like that was just a stop in our healing journey. And we, sh- if had, we had, you know, more knowledge at that time, I think maybe we could have viewed it as such. It was an elimination diet and yeah. we're working towards a different state. And then Again, had we had that knowledge of human physiology and the importance of carbs and all these different things, maybe we would have left that state sooner in order to not do as much damage. Does yeah. that make sense? When you know better, you do better. Yeah. And so if you're like us and you've been through restricted diets, and I mean, pretty much everybody who comes to the pro-metabolic space, even the, you know, quote unquote, like leaders of the space or whatever have gone through yeah. so much stuff. They've pr- pretty much been through every diet that's failed them, um, seeking help and feeling good. And yeah. so you can't be mad at yourself for going through these things and being influenced in a certain way. But that's where it is important to kind of start educating yourself and becoming aware of all these nuances and recognizing a diet rule when you see one. Right. I And along the superiority thing, you know, the people who have like a very restrictive like circle of I'm like I can only eat these foods. Um, I think it's important to remember that the healthier someone is, the more the food they can tolerate. Yeah, it's not the other way around. I know not everybody feels this way. Like there are some people that we have worked with who are currently eating two foods. Period. Yeah, yeah, and they're not thinking they're superior. They're desperately seeking more variety and health. Yes. So it's again, this was just I feel like this was something that was on Ashley's heart. Yeah. Well, it's just a reminder that like, for like, I I always think of our friend Libby, Libby Westcomb. She didn't do any of this restrictive stuff. Yeah. She lived a bomb life. She lived a bomb life. And so she's, she's always like, she doesn't fear foods. She incorporates vegetables and herbs and things like that. And of course consumes a lot of food and starches works out in the gym. Um, So, so this is a good example. She includes all these different foods. She's got a very balanced life and diet. She's aware of the nuances that exist. Like, oh, probably don't stuff myself with vegetable oils. Oh, yes. Don't eat raw nuts and seeds. Like she, yes, has this awareness. So that's where intuition yeah. and knowledge comes into play and, and awareness. She had a completely different upbringing. Yeah. And, and you know, it was a different life and it's yeah. elegant. But yeah, yeah I mean, that's a great example. May we all achieve that state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's kind of all the notes that I had on my phone. Um, besides the fact that vitamin P plays a role. Vitamin pleasure. pleasure. It's okay to enjoy our food. Vitamin P. <laughs> we gotta get vitamin D. Um, 
obviously cook most of your meals, eat real food, don't use processed food from a box. So when she says cook most of your meals, she doesn't mean you can't eat real food. She's just saying cook, home cook. Home cook. Yeah. Cook from home. What's your favorite meal you've been having lately? Oh, that's a great, great, great question. Um, gosh, I love my masa harina bowls in the morning. I love starting my day off with that. I'll put masa harina flour in a pot, add some water, cook it into like this porridge, add my raw egg whites and make sure that those are cooked because that improves the protein bioavailability bioavailability of those egg whites okay awareness she has there so that's why she does it but yeah <laughs> not fear <laughs> and then um i will then toss the raw yolks on top which we've been talking about sarah and i that we've had quite oh, a few listen up listen up you folks anything away from this. <laughs> we've had really cold days uh these last few weeks and so we've had quite a few frozen eggs don't throw those frozen eggs away you silly goose save those frozen eggs and the yolks are like they freeze but then you thaw them out in the fridge and they become these like creamy balls they're like egg yolk custard it's so good so just unbelievable like i just clap those creamy yolks on top of my masa bowl and i've got either some orange juice or stewed apple i've been doing stewed apples a lot stewed apples i really like stewed apples that's so seasonal eating man um and then of course just Raw whole milk and raw skin. Did you sweeten it? Okay. Maple syrup. Okay. Just make sure. We're in Maple Syrup County around here. Yeah, we have so many cool tap lines throughout our forest. Yeah, you drive around and there's just like yeah, hoses pulling the syrup out of the, the yeah. tree. Yeah. What about you? Oh gosh, my masa cornbread. So it's funny we're both saying masa, but it's just because you know in the winter the starches are very warming. We're still strength training. We do so many farm chores. Yeah. So. It's just necessary. And Can you imagine trying to get all of our calories that we need from just fruit? We would consume so <laughs> much fiber. Oh, that's so much fiber. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know I've tried it. Um, so my masa cornbread, which I'll post a recipe to Instagram. And which if you're not following soon. us on Instagram. Yeah, it's at Strong Sisters. And that with a just some eggs, maybe, or just raw milk. And on top of the cornbread, I'll do more like a maple syrup and... Maybe some fruit, maybe not. And that is my favorite meal. I think I could have that every meal. I think I do have it every meal. Marmalade. And in between, I have more milk. We <laughs> Marmalade is a food uh, is a major food group here right now. <laughs> yeah, milk is the other one. Yeah. Because, oh, I mean, sure. you guys, we have dairy goats. So it's like, if you want to eat seasonally, yeah. just yeah. Eat, drink milk. Yeah. yeah. So that's our favorite meal. Um, any farm updates you want to give? Oh, well, we're thankfully coming out of winter now, and winter farm tourists are always a challenge. Um, it builds character, I would say, but a lot of expansion happening this year, which is really exciting. I feel like last year the season was like get systems in place, uh, fail, learn, experiment, fail, learn, repeat. And now we have two great team members, Brandon, Sarah's boyfriend, and Masha. Masha has been such a great addition. And we are just so grateful to have this team. So we're adding new dairy goats this spring. We're adding a lot more chickens. And so if you want to stay up to date, uh, make sure you check out our Angel Acres Instagram at angel underscore underscore acres uh, to learn about those products. And we also brought on pigs. So we've got some heritage breed pigs that are going to be corn and soy free we're in the experimental phase right now but that'll probably be towards the end of the year or next year yeah and then just expanding our overall um ability to provide these regenerative uh, foods for you guys is is the goal for angel acres and expanding that to ship more products yeah we've got like 150 lamb so we our lamb flock this past year was 30 and now we're going to 150 this next year so Wow, just times five. Let's go. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. Separatists in training. So that's what we're up to. I love food and I love producing <laughs> food. And I would love, I love to produce food. It to I would too. love to produce food for you. Yeah. So yeah. It's just what? real whole food is so nourishing. It's so delicious. And like we've dedicated our life for the production of it. And I just I'm obsessed with it. Yes. So that's probably going to wrap it up today. Yeah. Um, again, that was at an angel underscore underscore acres is our, our Instagram. And then our personal Instagram is at strong 
uh, which is a period, CIS does. And then make sure you check out our website, www.armstrongsisters.com. That's not CIS does, that's armstrongsisters, S-I-S-T-E-R-S.com. We've got a bunch of free guides, free downloads, and then you can learn more about uh, our courses, Rooted in Resilience and Strong Training. And then we also have a meal plan option where you can just download close to 100 meal plans uh, that are help you provide structure and can really help you. It's mostly just like variations and that makes sure it hits all the micronutrients with a macronutrient split, but um, without being super complicated. Like I always was interested in those meal plans with a bunch of different recipes, but then I never followed them. Oh, who has time to do that? (laughs) And I couldn't make all the recipes. I couldn't keep up. Yeah. So our meal plans are simple. Simple. Those are also included in our course though. So definitely check that out. All right. Well, next up is Georgie Dinkov. Oh, yeah, you're going to talk to him again. When yes. was the last time you talked to him? We talked to him back in 2020 a few times. So okay. make sure you check out those interviews on our YouTube channel. We talk about sugar. Sugar. Um, so, so that'll be next. And then we got more exciting guests coming into the next few months. If you guys have any guest recommendations that you want us to interview or talk to, make sure you comment them somewhere we'll see. Or email them to us. You can contact the website. Yeah, just go on our website. All right. Contact me via the website. Okay. All right. Well... Until next time, stay rooted in resilience. (laughs) (laughs) Danny wanted you to say that.